There was one TV show I watched. I didn't, actually, I didn't watch much TV as a kid, um, maybe because there was only one channel. <laughs> now, I'm really, now I'm really aging myself. But there was one TV show I watched uh, all the time, and as I got older, I kept watching it. It was a favorite show, and it, it still endured. Um, this show started in 1969, long time, so 50 years ago, and it's still popular today. The show centered around a group of close-knit friends, and they would go out, and they would battle the supernatural, and they would do it in a nation, and, and in some episodes, they were, they were going around the world and battling the supernatural, and then sometimes they'd take celebrities with them, and so just to add more to the show, do you know what that show was? <laughs> Scooby-Doo. There's only two people in this room that can relate with each other, and it's I and Jesse. <laughs> Scooby-Doo. So yeah, they always traveled in a van. Did you know they had last names? Fred Jones, Daphne Blake, Velma Dinkley, Shaggy Rogers, Scooby-Doo. Yeah, they all had last names. Here's a picture of their van. You know what it was called, right? What was it called? The Mystery Machine. It's interesting, 50 years later, people are still drawn to a mystery and that's what we want to talk about today today we are going to pile into a van together we're going to pile into our own mystery machine and we're going to explore the mystery of the trinity the father son and spirit we're going to also explore god's mysterious plan that we've talked about in the last two chapters in the book of ephesians that through that father son and spirit through that mystery of the trinity how we are united as one and we're going to walk out the doors today, and we're all going to go battle the supernatural. Amen? We're going to go out there, and we're going to get after it because we're going to be brave, we're going to be powerful because we are one. And there is one in three persons who is with us and in us. But let's start with just a quick prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word as we go into the book of Ephesians together again on this journey through it. Thank you for the work you did to the Apostle Paul Thank you that, that this message is, is giving us a lot of feedback. But Father, we're going to continue to explore the mystery today. And this is a thing, Father, is it's a mystery to those who don't know Christ, but because of your word, it's not a mystery to us. Can we get our arms around it? No, barely. But it is so big and so beautiful, but you yet reveal it to us. And so help these words today change our hearts, awaken our minds, and unify us as one body and help us to go out and battle supernaturally really well this week, unified in you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and in the unity of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I want to welcome everybody. Good morning to our guests. My name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor, and you got this worship guide when you walked through the door. I already filled mine out because <laughs> I know all the notes. So I already filled mine out. For those who are with us online, we're glad you're with us too. This is attached to our Facebook Live page. It's also on our webpage, but feel free to jump in there and feel free to actually, if you're on Facebook Live, dialogue with us. We'd love to hear from you. Let's see, I don't think I have any announcements today. Lene did a great job of covering all those. So we are, we're, we're walking through the book of Ephesians. This is week four? Week four. So let me just summarize where we've been. We, this, the reason why we're in this series and the reason why it's called One is because the whole book is about the peace and unity of the body of Christ. And when we live in a world that's as deeply divided as our world, 
This is something we really need to pay attention to because we are different. We are different in how we're unified. So week one, we talked about we're united. We're unified in Christ. That's our foundation as a body. We're united in Christ. That's the one thing that we all agree on and puts us at the center. Second week, we talked about we're united in his death, that how his death changes and how we're united uh, in Christ's death too. And then also last week, we started moving out of the, the wealth of those two first sermons, the wealth of the blessing that comes from being united in Christ and united in his death. And we started talking about how do we walk? How do we walk then as a unified body? And Paul starts writing that. Last week, we talked about we're united as a body. That was part one. This week, we're gonna talk more about how do we walk together united as a body, part two. If you missed any of those, they're all on our Facebook page, or I'm sorry, you can catch them on our Facebook page, on our website, they're also on our YouTube channel. Just go out to Westview Community Church, search on that in YouTube, and you'll see every sermon going back to a ways back. Not as long as Ephesus ago, but a ways back. So turn with me to chapter four in the New Testament of the book of Ephesians. It's way towards the back. You'll have about that much left in your Bible. Chapter four is where we are today. We're gonna cover most of it. And so what's interesting is in the first three chapters, there's a couple of times that the Apostle Paul, who wrote this, an early church leader, he talks about God's plan as a mystery, and we revealed that plan. Here's the mystery of God's plan. God will unite all who believe in Jesus into one body, people with different backgrounds, different gifts, different ethnicity, different values, they will be one. That's God's mysterious plan. He brings us all together as one, one body, and there's nothing like this in the entire world. That's what's so unique about the Christian church. And because of that mystery of God's great plan to bring us all together one, the world takes notice because it's so mysterious to them. But Paul in chapter four, he takes two mysteries. He takes the mystery of God's plan, bringing us all together, and he unites it with the mystery of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons in one God. And so we're gonna dive into that because both of those help us see how do we walk together as one body. We need both of these things. So let's jump right in. Ephesians 4, starting in verse one. Paul's writing, he says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort, every effort, I don't think I can say it enough, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So Paul starts this chapter out, he says he's begging the Ephesian church. He's begging them to lead a life that's worthy of their calling, but I think the shock is, is that they've been called by God. Do you all feel like you've been called by God? Because as one body we are. We are all called by God. What is that too? Well, we're gonna talk about that. But he begs you then, if God's called every one of us, begs us, live your life worthy of that calling. So he says, here's, here's, here's what it is. The big three, be humble, gentle, and patient. This is how you're united. And he starts with humbleness. I think out of humbleness comes gentleness and patience, but he starts with humbleness. Humbleness is God's first, I, this is my simple way of defining it. God's first, you're second, I'm third. 
Humility is, is putting others first. And what's interesting is when Paul writes this, humility is not a value in the Greek and Roman culture. There's only one group that would be humble, and those are slaves. And so they didn't hold this as a value. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Humility is not a doormat expression of our lives. Humility is actually, there's one, one definition, it's strength under control. Humility is, is, is from, is just completely, I have strength because I know who I am, I know whose I am, and I know my purpose. And for that reason, everything else is bigger than me and more important than me. And from that comes gentleness and patience. So Paul's saying our unity as a body begins with character, an attitude of your heart. But verse three is kind of a big deal because he says make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. And so here's the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, who's absolutely essential for us as we walk as a unified church. We cannot walk together as one without him. And you're gonna see him so interwoven into everything else we talk about. The Spirit, He is the one who is with us. He is the one that lives in us. He is the one who changes us. He's the one who convinces us. He is the one that brings us into the Father and the Son, and He's the one that brings the Father and Son into us. So here's our first sermon note together. These, these sermon note one has six, five, five, five points, subpoints, that this is how we walk together as one in a church, unified in the Spirit. First, our every effort is humble, gentle, and patient. Our every effort, as a body, a church body, towards each other, we should be humble, gentle, and patient, make every effort, and we have to be that way with our neighbor too. And what's interesting, if you write down on that note, write in Galatians 5, verse 22, Galatians 5, verse 22, those are all fruits of the Spirit. What that means is that means those are evidence that the Spirit is leading my life. This last week, have you been, have we been arrogant, brash, angry, or impatient? There's an old phrase, silence gives to consent. So that means everybody's been angry, okay. <laughs> angry, brash, I have, I, that's why I write this. I've, I've suffered with one or two of those. And what, what that can be is a sign is that that's a sign of the absence of the spirit, at least in that moment. And the absence of that, when I'm brash, angry, impatient, arrogant, that behavior divides. Humbleness, patience, gentleness unifies. Strength under control. I remember a quote from Shaggy. He says, Scoob, friends don't quit. Friends don't quit. And what that means is we don't react and treat each other that way. We always, friends always hang in there, humble, gentle, patient. Make every effort, Paul says, every effort to do this, and you only can do it in the Spirit. Make allowances for differences. Make allowances for each other's faults. Who has a fault? At least one in this room. Make allowance for each other and be powered in the love of the Spirit. Beautiful how he starts this out. But then he continues. Let's go to verse 4. This whole thing builds momentum as it goes. It's kind of fun. It's a lot of fun. Verse four, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope 
for the future. There is one Lord, there is one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all, in all, and living through all. Our whole sermon series is titled One, and because it's all because of this verse. This verse is kind of like a fulcrum for the whole book. There's seven occurrences of the word one here. And here's our second sermon note. Walking in the spirit of unity, our identity is in perfect oneness. This is our identity, is in perfect oneness. Perfect is the number seven, right? So there's seven ones here. Paul's writing to a church in Ephesus. You gotta understand why this is so important. He's writing to a church in Ephesus where you got the temple of Artemis, the seventh wonder of the world, architectural wonder of the world. You got hundreds of thousands of people coming to this town where they start the Christian church, coming to worship all these other Roman and Greek deities, all these other false gods. And they're all coming here, and Paul says there is one. There's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one Father, one faith, one baptism, in a place where everybody can pick and choose as many gods as they want. You struggling with fertility? Come talk to the goddess Diana in the temple of Artemis. You're struggling with your crops? Come talk to this God. You struggling with this? Come talk to this God. All these spirits, all these gods you can come talk to. Paul says we live in the midst of this and there is one. There is one. And so let's take a look at this list the, of the seven ones, we call them, and, and why our identity is so important that we are one. First, he says there is one body. He says, church, you are one body. You're all together. But he's also writing to the church throughout Ephesus or the area. So he says, we are one of many bodies, but we're all one body in the Christian church. And that's the same for us. We all in here, all who are online with us, we are one body but we're also one body with every other Christian church here in Manhattan. And you know, we have nine missionaries from our church around the world that are planting churches and supporting the church, and we are one with them too. There is no limit, but we are all one. And he says there's one spirit. There is one Holy Spirit, not a bunch of different spirits. There's one Holy Spirit who interacts with us and in us every day, who guides us and grows us grows us. There's only one spirit we should be listening to. And then he says there's one hope. One hope. You know, he doesn't describe what this hope is. Do you have a guess? And those, those who are online, maybe shoot me a note. What do you think the one hope is? What's our one hope as one body? Sorry, Dick? Jesus. Good. That was the first answer in first service. Close. We need to expand it. Starts with him. Keep going. Jesus. Salvation. That's where it starts. We'll keep going. What else? What's our one hope? Hope is a future, right? What's that? Over here, you got to talk loud. Eternal life. What else? This is what I think. Our one hope is Jesus is coming back. If you look what they're looking forward to, it's, heaven, it's everything you said. Salvation, eternity, every one of you is right, but let's put it into one event. Jesus is coming back, and he'll take care of evil. We will all be that one family, that one united group under God in no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. The beauty of the moment when he comes back and sets everything right, that's our one hope. He's coming back. 
How do I know that's true? Because all the other promises in here are all fulfilled. We're waiting on just one. Right? Okay. And then he says there's one Lord. Now, this is not God. Whenever Paul references the Lord, he's speaking of Jesus as Lord. So he's talking about Lord. There is only one Jesus. There is only one who died for us. There's only one who loved us that much and sacrificed his life. There is only one who gave his life so we could have life. There is only one Jesus, and he is the one way to the Father. And there's one faith. There's one faith, faith in God, a belief through Jesus in what he did, and in the power of the Spirit, we're united in that one faith where they even created a creed within a few hundred years of there just saying this is our one faith this is what we believe and it's so Trinitarian built off of the Father, Son and Spirit and there's one baptism why is this in here? because there's one event there's one event that gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit there's one event that brings us into the body of believers there's one event that brings us into the family of God and it is your baptism We've been talking about this on your worship guide here. Uh, there is a baptism class coming up on October 16th. It's during the second service during this time. If you have not been baptized or you wrestle with this, there is one baptism where the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's symbolic. But it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the initiation into the body of Christ to say, I believe and I'm, I'm with this group and it's, it's the initiation into the family of God. It's one of the most beautiful events of your entire life. If you struggle with this, wrestle with this, or if you're like, dude, when can we get in the water? Come to this class. We would love to sit down and talk with you. And last, he talks the seventh one is there's one God, the Father of all. So he kind of capstones it with the Father. There's one God, the Father, Abba, of us all, who's in three persons, whose God works in three persons of the Father, Son, and Spirit perfectly and, and, and equally, but they're so different in the nuances of each and what they do. And all three work together, unified as one in our lives, and all three work as one to unify us in this body. How does that work? Hang on, we're going to talk about that. But what's so beautiful about the Trinity is that when you look at it, the unity of this church is so dependent on the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. When you just break the parts up, it's like, well, duh. That's how we're unified. But what's interesting about the Trinity is the Trinity is eternal and it's indestructible. And the church, when it's unified in that Trinity and in the mystery of God's plan, we are eternal and indestructible. Like we say, we read the last chapter, we win. And what's interesting is Paul's writing, here's all the seven ones to a place that's surrounded by all these false gods. And you're thinking, man, that's just, yeah, it was 2,000 years ago. Ladies and gentlemen, that's here today. We are surrounded by false gods that people worship and we get tempted to worship them all the time too. But they're not these carved statues. It's not Artemis sitting outside our door, the temple of Artemis. It is things like money and jobs, beauty and prestige. We end up worshiping these things. But Paul says we don't live that way. Paul says we are one. And the oneness is perfect. And that is our identity. 
it gets better. Let's jump in. Back to verse 7. We're going to jump around a little bit in the next couple of verses. Paul ramps it up. He says, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do God's work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come to such, what's that word? Unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So Paul jacks this up a little bit more. He's like, God is generous. And through Christ, he first starts with this. There's two kinds of gifts. The first is through Christ, and it's the gifts of the leaders to the church. So what he's doing, he's building on, Jesus says, I am the cornerstone of the church. And on top of that are the apostles and the early, you know, the early church fathers are built on that first foundation. And then here we go, building everybody else, the leaders and everything. So these are really important. What's the job of the gifts that Christ gives to this church? They are to build you to equip you to do the work, not the work of the church, God's work, God's work. Everything we do here is God's work, or at least we do our best to figure out what that is some days. It's always amazing, it's always overwhelming. But he starts with the leaders. Now, if you would write down 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 7, he goes over, and, and I'll just read this to you, he goes over the rest of the gifts now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. So that's your next note. Walking in the spirit of unity, our gifts, ladies and gentlemen, they're for others. Every one of us in this room has at least one. Every one of us has at least one gift. And it's not for you, it's for everybody else here. And it's beautiful when it's working in you. It's beautiful when you know what that is because we change because of each other. We change because of how the Holy Spirit works through that gift. And every one of us has one. Our gifts build and change us. Our gifts reach a lost and broken world and they bring them into this body. Our gifts are given from God. It says because of Christ. What that means is because of Christ's death and resurrection, his atonement, now the Holy Spirit can live in us. And so because of Christ, the Spirit's in us and now those gifts are given to us and he, the Spirit, guides and empowers those gifts. You can take all the pressure off of you that you can. Let him, let him just work through you. But all those gifts, what do they do? They unify us. They pull us together. They make us stronger. So what happens if we aren't using them? What if 
I just come to church on Sunday to get my fill of Jesus a little bit, sing a little bit, and go home, and I'm good. And I never use a gift. I don't even know what the gift is that he's given me. If we don't all use our gifts, we do not grow as well. We do not mature as well. And actually, it can disunify us. It can start to disassemble when we're selfish and my spiritual life is just about me. What if your spiritual life is about God, the Son, and the Spirit, and it's for everybody else? And what if if I lean into that, I can really watch this place grow in amazing ways and watch God work in ways that are just unimaginable or I can come get my hours worth of Sunday and go home some of us are like I've never even realized there are gifts that's okay Pastor Wayne I don't have it on here yet it's coming soon in about a month he's starting a new class and one of the things it does is it explores I have a gift what is that? And it helps you explore and look to see what he's doing in your life. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you aren't using your gift, this is the only thing I can tell you today. We need you. We need you really bad. <laughs> we need whatever it is you have that makes us better. We need you. This is such a tense topic in a very individualistic, selfish world. But we need you. It gets better. Verse 13. Now he's talking about all this coming together, the mystery and the gifts, and he says this will continue, starting in verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Did I read that one? No. Okay. I get excited and I lose track sometimes where I'm at. Our gifts, when they use, they unify us. And they, they start for us when we're using our gifts. You know, there's people, we would say there's a spiritual cycle for all of us. We're all in this place. In our, in, we're all on a spiritual journey. Everybody's on a spiritual journey. Even atheists are on a spiritual journey. It's just in the wrong direction. But everybody's on a spiritual journey. Some of us in here are like, I don't really know who Jesus is, but I'm here. And I want to know him. And some of us have just walked through that door of baptism and we're like, I know enough about him, I want to follow him. Would somebody plug into me and help me grow and understand? Some of us have been a Christ follower for years and we're mature and we're just soaking this up and it's really changing our lives. Our worldview is so different than the world's and it just changes our lives. And some of us are beyond that state of maturation and we are on fire. We are what we call surrendered. I am pouring in and I am serving everybody else. And those new believers, those people are saying, I'm not sure who Jesus is. They need the surrendered people, amen? One of the hardships of the Christian church is when we get into that maturation phase, when we mature and we get it and we feel safe, we stop. Don't stop. Get on fire. Because about half this church needs you, pouring into them and growing them. So here's your next sermon note. Walking in a spirit of unity, our growth 
becomes maturity and surrender. We need each other. We should always be moving through these cycles. Who is he? I'm following. On and on and on. The question for all of us today is are you surrendered for those who've been at this for a little bit or are you comfortable? Again, because we need, we need you. We need you. And God can work through you in any spiritual phase of your life. As a matter of fact, it's the new believers the most excited and can't shut up about it, and that's awesome. All right, keep going. Verse 14, all this culminates for these purposes. Verse 14, Paul writes, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church, and he who makes uh, the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of. Paul writes, we do all this, we recognize our gifts, we're unified in the spirit, we're no longer swayed by everything that's going on around us, all the circumstances, all that. Back in this day in Ephesus, there was all these false, they didn't have the New Testament yet. Everything was so new. And so they're trying to gauge all these new false teachings and all these people with selfish intentions coming in and tearing up the church. And he's like, if we do this, we won't sway in the wind every time it blows. Today, I would say, if we notice how deep we are rooted in our faith and how we're maturing, we aren't swayed by all the false news and all the conspiracy theories and all the garbage that goes on today. We aren't easily fooled by the deception of the enemy. Instead, Paul says, our maturity and surrender leads us to act much differently than the rest of the world. We do look different. So that's our next note. Walking in the spirit of unity, our response, all this culminates in a response, and our response is truth and love. That's how we live. All this, all this maturity, our response is truth and love. This is a core value of our church. This one's really big. Paul says, you know how you're maturing? You know how your church is unified? You know how they're on fire? Look at how they handle truth and love, sharing the story of Christ to others and loving them and bringing them into that relationship with him. This is how we look when we're on fire. We look just like Jesus because he was full of truth and full of grace and full of love. And guys, the only way we can do this is if we're empowered by the Spirit because we are selfish. We do have tend to be our human nature. We're fighting it all the time. Let the Spirit take over. Here is the core value of our church. Um, this is a core value that matches up to this. It's called love like Jesus. We value relationships and we believe Jesus is the most perfect example of how God wants us to live in relationship first with him, then with others. We strive to love others the way Jesus did, filled with both gentle truth and abundant grace. Full of both. 
is what we ask of everybody here because when you imbalance those, truth is judgmental and harsh and love without truth is just hand-patting somebody all the way to hell. The scripture verse of John 1, 14 says, we have seen the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We want you full of both. Gentle truth, abundant grace, look and sound like Jesus, only the Spirit can do it that. Only he can do that in us and through us. But truth and grace unify us to each other and they unify the people of this world into the body and that is a great mystery. So let's live like this. Let's walk together like this in unity. Where our world's very divided, we're not like that. And it starts with humbleness, gentleness, and patience. Check those measurements in our lives each day. Remember what we said last week, the Holy Spirit will accomplish infinitely more in and through us than we can possibly imagine if we're yielded to this. A unified body in a divided world is a beautiful thing to behold. And to the world looking in at us, it is a mystery to them. It's not a mystery to us. Our last sermon note there, number two, our darkened world notices a living mystery. You are a living mystery of God's plan to unify and the mystery of the Holy Spirit, the Son and the Father living and working through you and that unifies us as one and that's very mysterious to the outside world but it's beautiful and they want it because they're looking for it I'll invite our worship team back up with me and invite our communion servers to join me for 50 years since 1969 people have been drawn to the mystery machine of Scooby Doo they love a mystery but for 2,000 years, the mystery of the Trinity and the mystery of God's plan of unifying the world draws people. The mystery, if we're a living mystery, we are light in a dark world and people are drawn to that mystery. And what happens is then God draws people out of the darkness through us and through the power of the Spirit, and He draws not only us to Him, He draws them to Him. And we get to be part of that. You know, I was thinking that and when, when we're being a church and being a light and people are drawn out of darkness, I think of that line from Scooby-Doo that every villain said, we would have gotten away with this if it wasn't for you meddling kids. That's what Satan thinks every day. I would have gotten away with this if it wasn't for you meddling church 